afternoon. Good to see everybody here today. You guys are sounding absolutely phenomenal. I'd like to go ahead and uh, open up with a word of prayer if I could. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads. Father, I just want to thank you so much for the time you've given us to come together here today as brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm so grateful for the way that you work in our lives. I'm so grateful for every aspect of the service that's taking place up to right now. Father, I do pray that you fill me with an extra portion of your Holy Spirit and that I can speak powerfully for you and just move hearts more than anything, bring you glory in everything that I and everything that we do as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, today uh, started off kind of early for me. We had a, a men's service out in the East Region that I had the opportunity to preach at, and my uh, brother-in-law was out, my nephew was out, and um, a boyfriend of my sister-in-law was there as well, which is very encouraging. The upside of all that, though, I really want to thank each and every one of you that have been praying for Chris Brown, uh, Jackie's brother. Um, was very impacted by the service. He met with Peter Garcia after the service. He's agreed to study the Bible. And uh, had some time with him. Uh, hey, man, that's a good thing to clap about. I know that I'm excited about it. For me, the thing that was more encouraging, just seeing what the family's been going through the last few months, uh, and having kind of jumped in and done an intervention there with Lauren, uh, his daughter, a few weeks ago, is Jackie and I sat down with the two of them, right after uh, the service today. I don't know if that was me or what was going on. But anyway, um, it's just great to see how God works. We, we spent some time praying. We got into the scriptures, started with Lauren sharing some of the things that she wished had been different in the relationship, some of the things that were going on, was willing to forgive and move forward. Chris did the same thing. And then when it uh, was all said and done, at the end of it, I asked Lauren, I go, prior to coming in here today on a scale of 1 to 10, where do you feel that you were in as far as the relationship with your dad. And she said a two. I'm all, okay, well, based on what's taken place and some of the forgiveness that's happened and the discussion that we had, where would you rate it right now? And she said a seven. So then I asked her, I go, well, in order to, to take this up the next notch, what, what do you think it would take for you to maybe get it to an eight or a nine? And she's all, well, if my dad would just call me and spend some time with me, maybe take me out to breakfast, go fishing, I love time with my dad. And he uh, kind of teared up a little bit, and it was his turn to share. And, you know, guys were a little disconnected. I mean, he thought they were at a five uh, as far as where they were prior. Felt like it was at a seven after it was all said and done. And she asked him, okay, well, what's the one thing I can do, Dad, to help you bring it to the next level? And he said, Lauren, just, just call me and tell me you love me. That's all I need. And uh, it was just super, super encouraging. Um, I, I really think there's going to be a, a major turning point there. I, I do believe Chris will become a disciple uh, out of all this. But again, for those of you that knew about the situation and have been praying, i uh, just very, very, very grateful. You know, and we're, this month we're talking about the transforming power of godliness, which uh, is great when you see it working. Amen? I think more than ever, that's exactly what each and every one of us needs individually. You know, the primary text today, I'm going to be coming out of 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. But just kind of thinking that through for a minute, when it, when it looks at what, like what's going on in our lives and in the house today, in our families, what would you say is probably the biggest thing that's aided the decline of physical health in our families today? Anybody? Video games, well, lack of exercise, they all kind of combine. You know, we had this little thing come into our homes 
that kind of became the center point, the focal point in our houses back in the 50s. This little box called the TV. You know, somebody said video games. For me as a kid, uh, that wasn't the case. It was the likes of Gilligan's Island, Yogi Bear, uh, you know, very inane entertainment, stuff you didn't really have to think a whole lot about. Not only did it not really motivate or inspire you to do anything physically, didn't really work the brain a whole lot either. And you know, uh, a lot of research today has shown that one of the, the biggest reasons, one of the biggest challenges we have today when it comes to childhood obesity is TV. You know, our kids don't get off the couch and see the TV, internet, or the video games, things of that nature. And it, it really has created a major problem, major challenge when it comes to our health. Now, I, I know this, this goes back a ways. The singles and the uh, campus students, teens, preteens, probably aren't going to remember. Some of the marrieds would give me a bad time about this either. But I remember TV without remote controls. You know, we used to get a little bit of exercise, and it, it's amazing. I, I know this is a shock, but we had to get up off the couch to change the channel. You had to get up off the couch to dial in the sound properly, and there were times where that vertical hold would go, and you actually had to get behind the seat and turn little dials to dial the vertical in. And, you know, it, it's so funny because, I mean, obviously I remember that, but when I, when I go home and the video or the remote control is missing, I can spend 20 to 30 minutes trying to find the remote and then get ticked off because the show's halfway over by the time that I did when all I had to do was get over to the TV and turn it on. You know, today, so much about our lives is about comfort and convenience. There was a study I read a number of years back uh, uh, that was done at UC Berkeley on uh, single-cell amoebas. Wish I had a picture for you. I wasn't able to find one the other night when I was putting my PowerPoint together. But uh, it was an interesting study in that in these little petri dishes that were set up with these amoeba, they were set up with an incredible environment. Fluid was at the right temperature, ample supply of food, ample supply of light, everything they needed to prosper, to multiply, to duplicate, tear in half whatever it is amoebas do to reproduce. And the thing that was funny... And each of these experiments, based on the ideal situation that they were living in, these little amoeba keeled over and died. And what the conclusion was that they came to after this study was that the reason for their deaths were, apparently, there's something about all living creatures, even amoeba, that need some form of stress, some form of a challenge in the environment to help them grow, mature, and just deal with situations. You know, when we look at our own lives, we require change, adaptation, and challenges, just as we require food and air to live. I think understanding that as that amoeba died spiritually, the same thing can happen to us, or as it died physically on a spiritual level, the same thing can happen to us if we get too comfortable. Comfort alone can kill us. And you know, there's a means of overcoming the physical health issues, We know the Bible says physical training is of some value. Comfort and convenience can also affect our spiritual well-being. Now, we we saw last week with uh, Brian's message, godliness, one of the other definitions we've got here is the careful observance of or conformity to laws of God, state or quality of being godly. uh, Eusebia, as Brian stated last week, uh, in the Greek is of or from God, divine, Devoted to God, devout. You know, I need to be careful 
we need to be careful based on the society we live in today. There are so many things trying to get our attention. There are so many things that are out there appealing to our level of comfort. And we talked with the brothers about this a little bit on Wednesday night. We're coming into that time of year where we're getting blitzed already as we head into Christmas. And really needing to make sure that we're comfortable in our relationship with God. But that takes effort to make those things happen. Uh, if we can uh, change to the next slide. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. I've got uh, three different translations up here. I think they all really help get the point across. In the uh, NIV it says, Having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. And the New Living Translation it reads, They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And in the message, it says, they'll make a show of religion, but behind the scenes, they're animals. Stay clear of these people. You know, today, the thing that I want to do is I want to challenge us as a church to take one more step towards spiritual growth. And it begins with our growth towards godliness. Amen? So it's, uh, it's time to exercise, guys. It's time to get back in shape. So I need everybody to stand on up. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's great. You know, I'm fired up though, man. It was like everybody looked like they were ready to get up out of their seats. That's encouraging. I know you're paying attention at this point anyways, which is a good thing. But you know, the thing that we really need to go after and understand is time that we become champions for God. Amen? Time to move beyond, as we see up here, a form of godliness or the act of religion or making a show of religion, but to get on to the real deal, powerful religion that accomplishes something for Christ. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating in the air. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. We can go to the uh, next slide here. You know, we're all used to those uh, before and after shots, are we not? You know, this is, uh, this is a guy that's been doing a lot of TV watching since the 50s and uh, had one of the first remote controls as they came out and hasn't really moved a whole lot since. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. But, you know, what does it take for us to get into spiritual shape? What does it take for us to go after things and make the physical transformation that we just saw? We need to train. And there's so much more at stake here on a spiritual level than there is when it comes to our physical well-being. Again, it's a good thing to take care of and be good stewards of the body God's given us. Amen? But we're all in a race to win. Again, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. You know, and Paul uses this contrast of... Uh, of the race, the physical training, to really get people's attention. I, I believe that with the Corinthians, they had the uh, Isthmian Games, which was only second to the Greek 
Olympic Games at the time. And, you know, when it comes to sports, we get a little fired up about sports. You know, I think just as in that culture then, competition was a major deal. And I think to the men in particular, this probably pulled them in and really grabbed their attention. You know, when we look at what goes on as far as competition today, it is such an incredibly big part of our lives. Our children are involved in baseball, football, basketball, soccer, track, volleyball, swim team, dance. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. You know, it's so funny today, too, and our culture just kind of cracks me up. You know, it's not winning that matters. It's how we play the game. Any of you ever been to a youth sporting event sitting on the sidelines? I mean, is that where the parents are? Oh, little junior! Just how you play the game. Don't worry about getting any goals. I mean, that doesn't happen. I mean, you know, honestly, it's probably one of the most sinful places that you can be uh, when it comes to being out on the field. I mean, I would not want, you couldn't pay me enough money to be a referee today. I'm sorry, ain't happening. I mean, I'd probably be locked away in jail somewhere based on the wonderful discord and interaction that takes place. Actually, a number of years ago, my son was uh, at a soccer game. I was a Christian. Still am. Don't, don't want anybody to get overly concerned here. But my, my son was crying at one point. I'm like, I'm all seeing, what's, what's going on? He goes, Dad, the coach is cussing at me. He said, I mean, this is the coach on the other team. You know, he said some very choice words about how skinny he was with a number of little expletives in front of it. I'm all, are you serious? So, yeah, I'm all, you know, bud, sticks and stones, man. Don't listen to him. Don't pay attention. Well, game goes on for a little bit longer. Now the kids on the team are using the same wonderful verbiage that the coach was. So and I didn't know that there was, I don't know if this is an actual rule or not, but I walked around to the other side of the field, which I guess you're not supposed to do if you're on the opposing team. So I'm walking across, the, you know, I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm ticked off. I'm walking, where's that coach? I, I walk up to the coach and the referee comes over and he, this guy starts banging on my chest. He's all, you know, he had a little bit of an action. He's all, you're not supposed to be on this side of the field. Mister. You need to get back to the other side. He's banging on my chest. I'm like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, this guy, this guy's cursing our kids. I mean, my son's nine years old. He's all, I don't care. You're, blah, blah, blah. He goes, you know what's the game for the nice car? You sit in your car. No more game for you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But needless to say, we do get a little riled up about competition. You with me? You know, uh, when it, when it comes to even what takes place within our professional sports and the things that go on there, Paul knew this, and I, I totally believe that's why he uses this analogy. Sports excite us. NFL, NBA, MLB, MMA, you know, with the exception of Jerry Spradlin here, most of us have sat on the sidelines. I don't know if there's anybody else that's done the professional sport thing. Maybe there is. Don't have an attitude with me. Just come tell me about it later. Maybe I'll use it in another sermon somewhere down the road. But... You know, I mean, it is it is kind of where we are in society today. You know, I just wanted to make a point. We, we love our teams, do we not? Where's Perry at? Where's Perry? <laughs> hey, bro, come on, man, sit down. Don't be so sensitive. I mean, you can wear your shirt next week. I'll look at it. But, you know, the, the bottom line here, Paul says that we're in a race and the runners run. As Christians, you know, guys, there is no sideline. You don't sit on the sidelines. You're in the race. you got to train for the race. you got to be after it, moving in a big way. 
Paul says we run to get the prize. We want, we run to win. It's not about how you play the game, although God does give us guidelines and expectations. But ultimately, you gotta train and run in such a way that we're gonna win. We've got an eternal crown waiting for us in heaven. Ephesians 6 verse 12. I think I have a slide for this one. I do. It says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, our battle, or our race, is of a spiritual nature. Not competing with other Christians, not competing with the lost. We're competing against Satan. And he will do whatever it takes to get in our way to keep us from crossing that finish line. The question you need to ask yourself today is, do you want to lose to the devil? Because if you're sitting on the sidelines, you will lose this race. Unequivocally, without a doubt, you won't make it across the finish line. we got to go after this. You know, we saw Brian in a race last week. What was the name of the brother that was chasing you around? Alan. Now, you know, when it comes to the race, I mean, I, I thought, you know, Brian is an older gentleman, did a pretty good job there, kind of staying ahead of him. But, you know, I, I got a question for you. Now, we know the only thing that was at stake last week was the Jamba Juice card, right? And I appreciate Alan. I mean, he didn't even know what was on the Jamba Juice card. I think it might have already been tapped out. Hopefully there was something left. But the bottom line is, I put before you, church, if that was Satan chasing Brian, do you think Brian would have got caught? I don't think so. Man, we would have seen him hurtling pews. We would have seen him throwing stuff at him. I mean, there's no way that Brian would have got caught if Satan was the one chasing him down. And with all that, how do we, what do we need to do so we can stay ahead, so we can win that race? We need to prepare ourselves. You know, I don't know about, I don't know if you guys realize or not, some of you may have done this. You can apply when the Olympics are in town to carry the torch for a two-mile stretch as it goes across the country. Now, hypothetically, you get a phone call or you get something in the mail. Jackie Marici, you have to carry the torch for two miles. Are you just going to sit there and wait until the day of the event and figure, oh, yeah, I can, this thing weighs about two and a half pounds. I can, you know, one, I mean, guys, anybody hold, held two and a half pounds up for about 15, 20 minutes in one spot over your head? I mean, you know, you're gonna, you know, of course, you know, you can probably switch your arms off. I don't think they make you hold it with just one arm. But the bottom line is you've got to go two miles and carry that thing. I don't know about you. I'm going to want to look good out there. I, mean, I want to be, you know, I want to be prancing across that line with that torch. So, you know, I mean, if something like that we're willing to prepare for it, how much more so should we be in the battle going after what is ultimately in store for us in heaven? 1 Corinthians 9, verse 25. It reads, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. I mean, that running aimlessly thing, I mean, we just kind of, you know, <laughs> or beating the air. I mean, shadow boxing. I mean, if you're a professional boxer, is shadow boxing going to get it done for you? There's absolutely no way. You've got to train. It's hard work. You know, researchers have discovered that certain people are genetically destined to excel in athletics. According to the studies, they had this ACE gene, which is longer in athletes. Now, they have a genetic disposition that enables them to excel, but guess what? That ability to excel is absolutely meaningless unless they train. 
And it's the same way with us. Do we not have the Holy Spirit? But if we're not training, is that Holy Spirit going to be able to do through us what it needs to do? I mean, you can have all kinds of benefits, all kinds of wonderful things. But the bottom line is, if you don't take what you've been given and do something with it, you will never get across that finish line. We've got to be careful with this. You know, the other thing that takes place today with athletics, we see it all the time. People taking shortcuts. You know, I mean, it's, it's been in the media. There's been a number of people that have perjured themselves in the, uh, in the uh, federal hearings when it came to steroids. I mean, I was watching a show the other day. They were talking about the, the situation with genetic engineering, steroids, growth enhancement drugs. And, you know, I mean, there was one, this one shot of this woman who won the, uh, I believe it was the Boston Marathon, only to have, her, have the crown or whatever it was they gave her stripped from her. Because they found out by going back and reviewing video footage along the route, she got in a taxi, drove a few miles, and then jumped out at the finish line. (laughs) True story. True story. So, you know, shortcuts may seem on the front side to have some benefits. The bottom line is when it comes to our spirituality, shortcuts have no benefit whatsoever. Going to compete, you need to train. And sometimes that means doing things you don't normally do. I started at a uh, new gym here locally uh, a couple months ago. And uh, with the gym membership came two free personal training sessions. And I've been around a while. I figured I had the bulk of this stuff dialed in. And most of you guys will be able to appreciate this. Most of the women are going to laugh. But they have this thigh inductor thing and this hip inductor thing. And, I mean, you know, it, it, to me, it's kind of a, you know, I'm not even going to go there. I might end up saying something stupid. But anyway, you sit out on this thing, and, you know, you, you got the weight and these pads, and you press your legs together, and you press your legs together. And then they have another one you sit out on the pads or on the other side of the leg, and you pull your legs out, and you pull your legs out. Well, 48 hours later, I'm dying. I mean, I'm cranking on this thing. I put more weight on there. Come on, let's go. I'm sitting on the couch a couple days later, my wife and my daughter are making fun of me. I got ice packs on the inside of my thighs. I'm like, I'm popping the ibuprofen. I am just dying here. But I did lose nine pounds in one week. So, you know, there's something to be said for working out. We have to work out our spiritual muscle just because we have, again, the Holy Spirit as a Christian. It doesn't make us spiritual. It doesn't make us godly. Uh, next slide. Okay, next slide. <laughs> I can't, can't see that on the left there too well. But, you know, we, we also make this transition as we mature as Christians. You know, you get baptized. That's what's going on on the left there. You come up out of the waters, man. You're ripped to shreds, feeling like you can take on anything. You're good to go. And then as time goes on, you know, we start to shortcut the prayer time a little bit. Or maybe we don't spend as much time reading. And before you know it, you look like my Italian cousin up there on the right-hand side with it. Whatever it is, these, the bottle of wine, the pasta, the french fries, the cigarettes, all that good stuff. And, and, and you're, you're a spiritual wasteland. Oh, and we've got to be careful. You know, we need to maintain that zeal and that enthusiasm we had coming out of the waters of baptism. Again, realizing what's at stake. And Paul knew that based on this presentation in this passage. Again, 1 Corinthians 24b, the second part of that verse Run in such a way to get the prize. Going to be a winner, going to be a champion, no shortcuts. We must have proper training. You know, with competition being so close again today, we've seen it's amazing the things that people resort to to win. 
Paul, however, tells us we shouldn't take shortcuts and compromise our Christianity. In verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 9, we've already read it, but again it says, No, I beat my body and I make it my slave that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. You know, I think that this has significance within the religious community, the communities we live in as well. Just as people are becoming fed up with all the cheating that goes on today in sports, steroids, etc., there are many out there in our communities that won't come to church because they've been turned off on religion by the religiosity and hypocrisy of those who call themselves Christians. Shortcuts, a form of godliness, but absolutely powerless, not in accordance with Scripture. Paul says that's worthless. Paul says to run in such a way that we are not disqualified for the prize. You know, and that gives us the ability to live resurrected lives, to have resurrected marriages, to have resurrected relationships with our children and our family members and our friends, and not just here, but in heaven for eternity. So I have a workout plan for you. You know, in bodybuilding, they have this thing, it's kind of called push-pull when it comes to your muscle groups. Most the school of thought there, by and large, is that you work opposing muscle groups, and that if you're working chest, unless you want your shoulders to round you totally off because your pecs are overdeveloped, you got to work the back muscles, the traps, and your lats, your latissimus as well, to balance things out. And it's amazing how if you work both muscle groups, the back muscles help what you're doing with the pecs, the front muscles, and vice versa. It's like that with every muscle group. Biceps got the opposing muscle, the tricep. You need to work them both. Well, and it's the same thing when it comes to our spirituality. You know, we have to make sure that there's that balance with the word and prayer. That's the push-pull that we have spiritually today. That gives us a spiritual balance. Turn with me, if you would, to Psalm 1. Verse 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. Oh, it's up on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible. It says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. You know, meditating on Scripture... Spending the time to absorb it rather than just check it off a list. And I can, I can slip into this all the time. I love to read, which is a good thing because all the ministers up here love to read. Uh, I've read more books in the last few weeks than I probably have in the last six months, which is a good thing. But I think just reading to, to get through something doesn't really generate any application to your life unless you're willing to take the time to meditate on it and really pull out of the passage what it is that you need specifically to work on. So meditating on scripture, making sure that when we're reading it, we're reading it personalized to ourselves. What does this passage tell me I'm doing good? What does this passage tell me I'm not doing so good? What is this passage trying to change me on? Help me with my repentance on. Help me with my outreach. Help me with the interaction with my wife. What can I come away from this time spent in God's Word or spiritual books that will enable me to shine as a bright light in an incredibly dark world. When it comes to uh, prayer, again, you know, with the Word, it's a matter of getting Christ's direction for our lives. Um, you know, I appreciate Jackie this uh, past week or so. Most of you know the housing situation we've had. You know, we got back from Miami to find out that we're being evicted on the, uh, at the end of November. 
But so with that, we went back and we talked to a couple of the neighbors. We knew the one neighbor that had a major issue with her dog. We went to the neighbor on the other adjoining wall to see what their take was. And she verified what was going on and let us know that all the neighbors have been emailing each other. Uh, they've all, they had an HOA meeting about us a week ago and our wonderful Bella with the big mouth. Uh, there was a day, I guess she was so agitated when we were in Miami, she barked for 12 hours straight. But we had absolutely no clue. And when, when I was talking with this one neighbor, the lady who lived next to us, I said, you know, I'm not going to use any names because hopefully we'll have them out here at some point in time. I don't want people, oh, you're that woman. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she, it was, I, I just said to her, I go, you know, it's really hard to change something if you don't know you have something to change. I go, we've lived here two months, and no one has brought this to our attention. And, uh, you know, I had a little prick of pride there for a minute. She kind of turned red. I had to, had to repent of that. And she continued. She says, oh, you know what, Steve, you're right. I, I really blew it here. I, I should have I pulled you guys aside, and I should have let you know what's going on. And, you know, I can see that you guys are concerned for our well-being. I can see there's no malice here, that you guys aren't, you know, these terrible dog owners or, you know, neglectful of your dogs or whatever. Because I'm going to send an email to the owner and let him know that, I, you know, I think he needs to reassess things. And, uh, you know, with that, though, I think I sure, too. I mean, my initial response when I heard all this stuff is, man, I'm shaking the dust off my feet. I'm out of here, man. I don't want to deal with you people. But, Jackie, being a little bit more spiritual, you know, cited a few scriptures, um, you know, then uh, baked a whole bunch of chocolate chip cookies and oatmeal cookies and we had these little bags, we went around everybody, and there was a letter introducing ourselves and apologizing for the dog and taking the humble route and heaping burning coals. God, God is good. I mean, it, it looks like this thing's being dialed in. One of the other neighbors has sent an email. Uh, there was one gentleman we met. He goes, hey, I know those emails are flying, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny. But anyway, just making sure that we're really going after the Scriptures and making the application of our lives so that we can really not only benefit from ourselves, but be a benefit to those around us. You know, developing good habits, it takes practice and commitment, just like getting in a good physical shape. Bodybuilding, it's hard work versus building godliness, faith, hard work. But what are the benefits? You know, is your life too busy for God? Are there too many distractions that keep you from building your faith, building your prayer life? Remembering that prayer is communication with God. You can't build a relationship, a personal relationship with someone, unless you're willing first to invest time in that same, in that someone. It's the same way with God. You know, do you make time for God as if your life depends on it? We know that with Jesus we see that. In Mark 1 it says, Verily early the next morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. No matter how busy Jesus was, he always went to God. He understood the importance of maintaining that relationship. You know, do we prioritize right when it comes to God, family, or friends? Or do we let our jobs and our activities prioritize for us? You know, we need to figure out, I know what works for me. You need to figure out what works for you and do it. For me, with prayer, it's one of two places. I can't sit in a chair and do it. I can't stay in bed and do it. Um, I'm not a good multitask guy. Jackie can pray when she's on the treadmill. And, and she cranks both the treadmill and the prayer. I can't do that. With me, I've got to be on my knees or I've got to be outside. And you know what? I've got to make sure that if that's where I connect, I need to make sure that I set the time aside to connect on that level. Figure out what works for you. And you know, the other thing, when you're in training, you need a workout partner. 
You know, just as you do physically, you need the same thing spiritually. I, I commend the early morning groups. I'm getting these emails. Bro, we got together Thursday morning, 6 o'clock. We got these Bible talks. Things have been going awesome. You know, this brother did a great job of leading this. This brother did an awesome job of that. This sister did this. That's incredible. God designed this that way. It's communal. It's relationships. It's a village. We need to be involved with each other on that level. I mean, you know, recently we went back to midweeks here. And... Uh, it's been a transition that's been going on for a while. And, you know, I've talked to people. There's different uh, schools of thought on it. But there's something to be said for corporate learning and worship. Without a physical training plan, it's important to train with other athletes. I know for me, I'm sure you guys see this, you're going running with somebody. Or you're going running alone. The alarm goes off and the weather's kind of funky. It's pretty easy to, ah, yeah, bag that. I'll go tomorrow. But if you know that, you know, you're meeting Henry and Marco at 6 o'clock in the morning for a prayer time, uh, I'm there. <laughs> I don't care how I feel. Alarm goes off, I'm there. And, and, and the experience after the fact is always blow away. We know that. Once we've been there, it's so incredible to have spent that time. So, it's, again, understanding it's much easier to get up early and run when you have someone to run with. That is why we spend time studying the Bible together and attending worship service together. We need the accountability. We need the fellowship. We need the community to fight off devil's, the devil's schemes. Again, this is that push-pull that you have with the physical end of things. We need the same thing spiritually, amen? You know, God has wisdom, great wisdom, that he has given us great freedom in developing our own spiritual training plan. But the, the, the reality behind that is we need to have a plan, amen? We need to make sure that we have a plan and that we go after it. There are some specific things that all Christians must do every day if we're going to excel as champions. To be champions, people must discipline themselves first and foremost. Champions can't compete in the game without practice, instruction, encouragement from their coach or their workout partner, their spiritual mentor. Uh, it's up there. <laughs> as you can see right here, a champion will set a specific time and keep it. You must make an appointment with God and keep it. The best time is what works best for you, but remember, God deserves your best. The next one, a champion will specify a place and be there. It's helpful for you and God to have a special place where you spend time together. This place needs to be somewhere where you can focus without distractions. You know, in the gym, if I get caught up in what's going on around me, you know what ultimately ends up happening? I get hurt. And, you know, it's the same thing spiritually. If we're distracted, we're not going to get what we need out of our prayer time. We're not going to get what we need out of our, out of our time in the Scriptures. And then finally, there, a champion will always have a plan. Your time with God should include prayer, praise, thanksgiving, confession, petition, listening, and Bible reading. Amen? You know, why was the training so important to Paul? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. So our last passage, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. So those not having the law became like one not having the law, though I'm not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. What's the underlying theme here? Paul's all about winning. 
He understands the need for godliness and what that represents for everybody that he was within his scope of influence, which was everybody he came into contact with. He says, I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So all the training, everything that Paul went over, there were two things that were very significant for him. And that when he went after this, he was about winning souls. And you know, for him to make all those transitions, to deal with all those different types of people, that took training. How best can I meet their needs? How best can I meet their needs? What's it going to take for me to be able to reach out to the weak, the Jews, the Gentile, all the different individuals that he met? He knew ultimately, if he didn't train, he himself, this is sobering, he realized that he himself could be disqualified from the prize. See, Paul was concerned with everyone around him. He knew that by training to be godly, he would have an impact and save those around him. He also knew that by doing so, he himself wouldn't be disqualified from the prize. You know, the thing we've got to be careful with is if success was defined as the material things in our life, we would grow to be lazy creatures. We'd waste away our lives. We'd end up just like that, um, that amoeba in that little dish in that laboratory at UC Berkeley, dead. So we need to keep growing. We need to keep putting ourselves into hostile territory because this is where dreams are tested, where perseverance puts value into our lives and our communities, where the character of a true champion is born. I want to close with a story. It's entitled, Just Push. It says, there was a man who was asleep one night in a cabin when suddenly his room was filled with light and the Savior appeared. The Lord told the man he had a job for him to do and he showed him a large rock in front of his cabin. The Lord explained that the man was to push against the rock with all of his might. This the man did, day after day. For many years he toiled from the sun up to sundown. His shoulders set squarely against the cold, massive surface of the unmoving rock, pushing with all of his might. Each night the man returned to his cabin, sore and worn out, feeling that his whole day had been in vain. Have you ever feel that way at all? <laughs> Seeing the man was showing signs of discouragement, who enters? Satan. Satan decided to enter the picture, placing thoughts in the man's mind such as, you've been pushing against this rock for a long time, and it hasn't budged. Why kill yourself over it? You're never going to move it. Thus giving the man the impression that the task was impossible, and he was a failure. These thoughts discouraged and disheartened the man even more. Why kill yourself over this, he thought. I'll just put in my time, giving just the minimum of effort, and that'll be good enough. And that he planned to do until one day he decided to make it a matter of prayer, and take his troubled thoughts to the Lord. Lord, he said, I have labored long and hard in your service, putting all my strength to do that which you have asked. Yet after all this time, I've not even budged the rock half a millimeter. What is wrong? Why am I failing? To this, the Lord responded compassionately, My friend, when long ago I asked you to serve me, and you accepted, I told you that your task was to push against the rock with all your strength, which you have done. Never once did I mention to you that I expected you to move it. Your task was to push. And now you come to me, your strength spent, thinking that you have failed. But is that really so? Look at yourself. Your arms are strong and muscled. Your back brown. Your hands are callous from constant pressure. And your legs become massive and hard. Through opposition, you've grown much. And your abilities now surpass those which you have used, that you used to have. Yet, you haven't moved the rock. But your calling was to be obedient, to push, 
and to exercise your faith and trust in my wisdom. This you have done. I, my friend, will now move the rock. 1 Peter 1 verse 9 says, Your reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your soul. Let's put these principles to work so that we can glorify God in everything we do. God bless.